Welcome to the second episode of Decoding Devi, and I have another great guest this week, uh, Matt Bruning at Sports Fanatic MB. Matt, thanks for joining. Absolutely, man. Thank you for having me on. I'm I'm thrilled to be on here and uh, and and talking with you, just you and me for once, not on tailgate with those losers, Austin and Kyle. And <laughs> I love Moxley; he's super smart. But you know, just you and me talking a little Debbie. I'm excited. Yeah, definitely. So obviously, you um you know both work at Campus to Canton on the site, and you know you have all the a million shows that you do there. You know Debbie debate and everything else. Is there anything any um you know special projects you got coming up anytime soon? Uh, we have some stuff. Yeah, I can't. Um, I can't announce one of them. But um, you know, if you guys check out campusdecant.com, uh, it we do everything over there. NFL, Debbie, a lot of college stuff. Uh, this off season, we're going to be heavy into rookie profiles, videos, and all that stuff. So that's stuff I can talk about. Come by, check that out. We talk a lot of college stuff, and then obviously rookies. You've got guys like you, me, Austin, Colin, who have watched these players for years. We're going to dive in and hopefully do some rookie videos. Uh, we got some mock draft stuff we were just talking about earlier uh, as well that we're going to try and do. So a lot of content coming on the YouTube page. Uh, check that out. As for other stuff, you know, stay locked into Campus to Canton. You can find them at Campus to Canton on uh, Twitter as well. Got some special projects coming down the line that I I would be murdered if I mentioned here, but uh, maybe I'll 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 give you a sneak peek later and you can invite me back at some point and I'll I'll drop it for all of your listeners. Okay, that sounds good. Yeah, definitely. Um, bunch of good stuff coming out there. So uh, you know, I brought you on. You're you're a Buckeye, so you know, as we see, Wolverines and Buckeyes can somewhat coexist. You know, begrudgingly, I I, I uh, let you come on the show, so. Um, so yeah, so last, I wanted to, you know, have someone that was a Buckeye on because I want to talk about the Michigan State, Ohio State game that just happened this past week and then preview, preview the Michigan Ohio State game coming up. So, um, for the Michigan State game, um, you know, what were some of your reactions? I know you didn't think it was going to be anything like that type of game, you know, that big of a blowout. So, um, what were, what were you surprised by, you know, um, in, in that game? Yeah, I was surprised that they blew them out the way that they did. Uh, the I think the opening line, and it stayed pretty close to the 19 points throughout the week. And I, I talked all week that I did not think that was the way it was going to be. Earlier in the year, we saw Ohio State's defense really struggled with the run. Um, and then they played a lot of teams that did not have good running backs. We thought, hey, Kenneth Walker coming in this game, he was a Heisman favorite, uh, had pretty much run all over everybody. Even Michigan, who's got a really good run defense, you know, he didn't have a huge day against them, if we're being honest, but he had a bunch of big plays, and that's what mattered. That's what ended up doing it in for Michigan. And I thought he could do the same thing against Ohio State. Maybe he didn't have like a 5.5 yard per carry average, but he hit a couple big plays and, and scored some touchdowns, but they were really able to shut him down. And I wonder if some of that was, which I did not know this going into the game, uh, they were down two offensive linemen. They were down a linebacker. They were down a cornerback, and they were down their top wide receiving option. And, and I wonder how much of that really played into this offense. There was a lot of talk too on the broadcast that Kenneth Walker, you know, was was a little bit beat up. He came off a week of thirty plus carries, and, and we saw them kind of using him sparingly earlier in the game. They were using the backup Simmons there a lot, so maybe that was some of why they didn't uh, didn't go through. But I think really the biggest key for them was just how bad Michigan State's defense is against the pass. We saw it was Cade McNamara's best game as a passer, and I think we can all be honest, Cade McNamara is probably at best an average college quarterback. And so when you get a guy out there like C.J. Stroud with the weapons that he has at wide receiver, that was probably a recipe for disaster. And 
you know, props to Ryan Day in that offense. They they really game planned around that, and and they hit Michigan State with a bunch of big plays that ended up costing them the game. Yeah, that's very interesting. I actually missed the first few minutes of the game, so um, some of that is good to know because I did notice, you know, Kenneth Walker wasn't really getting a lot of carries early, and I think when they decided to start giving him the ball, it was a little late because they were already down a couple touchdowns, and um, I think finally it caught up with Michigan State. I thought it Ohio State would win fairly easily, but nothing like what happened. I think they would have been playing above their talent level all year, and they finally, you know, met met a team that can um, kind of play on all those weaknesses. So, uh, you know, they shut down Michigan State pretty well. It was fourteen to nothing, and Michigan State was driving. And on that one play, which I can't believe they called it incomplete when it looked like it was a Jalen Reed fumble. Were you surprised by that play? I was, but I'll be honest because I'm like a, uh, I'm a, I'm very, as much as I love Ohio State, I'm also a little bit of a hater at times. I was hoping that it was going to be called incomplete because I did not want to see Ohio State get the ball back because I really thought that was going to turn the tide even more for the Buckeyes. Plus, I, was, I just wanted to see Kenneth Walker have a good game so we could tell Felix he was wrong on tailgate because anytime I can tell Felix he's wrong, I love it. It makes my day. So, oh, Definitely. And, um, you know, once they, you know, then – I mean, even if they get a field goal there, I don't know if it matters that much, but maybe just morale yeah. standpoint, it was different when they missed that there. And then, um, you know, once it started rolling after that, I was surprised too by their game plan. It just did not look like uh, Michigan State was overly prepared for the game. Um, I know yeah. that they all, that like Ohio, like Ohio State, they always – um, when they play Michigan, they, they're always amped for that and always play their best. But they usually play pretty well against Ohio State, I feel, too. Um, so that was very surprising. I would have thought that they would have let everything short for um, for Stroud and Ohio State, but they let those deep bombs um, and played a lot more um, man. It looked like man, and, and the, those, those great receivers at Ohio State just took advantage. So that was a little bit surprising for me. Do you think this was just an off game for Michigan State, or do you think this Ohio State defense is finally starting to improve and kind of take form? I mean, it's hard to say that I don't think that they're starting to improve too much. Because if you go back a couple weeks against Nebraska, and I can't remember for the life of me now who the other game was that they played – the defense wasn't that good. They barely won those games. I think the biggest thing here for Michigan State was kind of what you just mentioned in Mel Tucker just didn't really seem to have a plan. I think once he kind of got punched in the mouth there with those wide receivers, they just didn't know what to do. I think maybe the the issue with Michigan State was they tried too hard to do everything, as in try and stop the receiving game and stop Henderson. I think they should have just focused on trying to slow down the receiving game as much as possible. And if Henderson eats, Henderson eats. I think the big thing with that is you're going to burn a lot of time on the clock with them running plays, and that still gives you a chance to get back into it if Kenneth Walker was playing healthy. But the defense, I'm just – I think this is going to be their biggest test because Michigan is, in my opinion, with Haskins now, I, I know, and you, you'll you be able to tell me this, I think Cora might still miss again this week, which could be huge. But with those two running backs, like if that running game can get going, we've seen Cade McNamara can play really good in the play action and everything. I think they'll be able to challenge the secondary a little bit because Burke is beat up a little bit as well. We saw him go down and injure his shoulder. I believe he's going to play this week anyways, but he's been really – the solidifying factor in that secondary. He has not given up a receiving touchdown all year. 
as a freshman. I think he's the next best cornerback to come out of Ohio State. He's been phenomenal. We talked a little bit about him on the tailgate this past week. You know, when he they played Purdue recently, that's who it was, Purdue. Uh, but Purdue was actually a blowout as well. Uh, David, he was on David Bell, and like 11 of his uh, 16 targets was when he was on Burke, and he Burke only allowed him to get five catches for 35 yards. He ended up with 100-plus on six other catches where he was on different cornerbacks. So Burke, I think, could be huge in this one. Uh, but then again, Michigan, again, they build around that running attack, right? So that's where I think could be dangerous because they don't really have that that high-end or a guy who's playing as that high-end wide receiver to challenge that secondary. Yeah, we'll definitely go into that more, but that that's exactly what I was thinking. They really spread it among, amongst those wide receivers, so there's not really an alpha wide receiver on that team. So that um, that advantage might not mean as much. But um, And going back to Michigan State, um, during the Michigan game, one thing Michigan does not have is what Ohio State has in that killer instinct to go for the throw on a team. They are actually up 7-0. On Michigan State, had the ball, threw a pass out to Blake Corham. He dropped it. He probably would have scored a touchdown. They got a turnover and ended up just getting a field goal. So they could have been up 21 to nothing also, but they their offense isn't clicking, you know, especially through the passing game as much as Ohio State. So that was a big thing too. So this probably, for, you know, all purposes, takes Kenneth Walker out of the Heisman. So this is Stroud versus Young now for Heisman, don't you think? Yeah, I think even if Michigan State, which I still think they were going to lose regardless of the game plan last week, but I think even if Walker had gone out there and ran for like 150 or 200 yards and a couple touchdowns like he did against Michigan, uh, that he would still be in the, maybe not the lead, but at least there with those two still for the most part. But I think with the fact that he only got 25 yards, uh, that effectively knocks him out of it. And it comes down to Stroud and Young. And I don't know which way it's going to go. A lot of people are saying that it's Stroud's to lose, and I don't necessarily disagree with that. But when I look at it, and the reason I would probably give it to Young is they're putting up comparable numbers when it comes to touchdowns, interceptions, yards, everything. The difference in the the elevation I'll give to Young is he doesn't have the best wide receiver core in the country around him like C.J. Stroud does. I've been looking a little bit into quarterbacks and, and their passing before and after the catch. And if you take away the yards after the catch, which again, and granted is like really kind of digging deep into the stats, the CJ Stroud's only thrown for 1500 yards where where Bryce Young is still thrown for 1700. So he's still passing the ball a little bit deeper down the field. In my opinion, he doesn't have those weapons. I mean, Jamison Williams couldn't make it in the Buckeyes wide receiver room goes to Alabama and is the best wide receiver they have. They're also playing better competition for the most part. So in my opinion, I think it should go to Bryce Young, but the Heisman voters don't have to put their votes in until after the championship games. And I think if Bama loses to Georgia, unless it's a really, really close game and Bryce Young plays out of his mind, but it's like the Alabama defense gives up a late touchdown or something like that, likely C.J. Stroud and the Buckeyes are going to win the Big Ten championship game. Maybe maybe not easily, but I think they'll beat Wisconsin, who's likely going to be the, the team that they play. I think once that happens, C.J. Stroud wins, and if Bryce Young loses, it's going to go to Stroud. I agree with a lot, lot of what you're saying, but I think what would is going to hurt Bryce Young is he's going to have to play Georgia in that SEC championship game, where Ohio State most likely, you know, if they, if they win, will play Wisconsin – and we've kind of seen how this story kind of goes when Ohio State plays Wisconsin. Wisconsin keeps it close for maybe a quarter, quarter and a half, and then they just don't have the athletes to stop Ohio State consistently with that 
that that passing game. And um, yeah, I, I think that's going to be the biggest part. And, you know, what you're saying about the yards after catch is a big thing, but I don't know how many, how much many like voters actually are going to like think about that. You know, they might just stat watch kind of, so that that's the biggest thing, but no, I agree on that. Um, back to Ohio state. So Julian Fleming had a touchdown. Um, so are we going to see an uptick next year with him at all, do you think? Or is it just going to be the, the freshman this year taking his spot and he just got in the game there to get a touchdown? I, I actually think we might. Uh, Brian Hartline really talks him up every chance that he gets. Anytime someone asks a question about him, the biggest thing with him is he's dealt with a hamstring injury all year. In the spring and everything, it was a shoulder injury. So he's consistently been beat up, which is obviously kind of bad for him. Uh, you know, if you talk to the, as as Felix loves to say, the spreadsheet simps, it's not going to look good for, for Julian Fleming's pro prospects and the fact that he doesn't break out until his third year. But I don't know that Mecca or Marvin Harrison do what Julian Fleming can do, and that's stretch the field. Both those guys, I think, are more of your – like a Mecca. Mecca's likely going to be in the slot, and then I think that moves JSN to the outside next year. And I think Fleming might get that job over Harrison because he stretches the field a little bit better than I think Mecca and Marvin Harrison do. I think Mecca can stretch the field. We've seen him do a lot after the catch in the games when he's gotten in. But Julian Fleming has like all state speed. He he does a little bit different. So yeah, I think he can break out next year, especially Stroud. We're assuming keeps the job and continues to improve. I mean, his improvement from earlier in the year to where we are now has been incredible. Now you go and give him an entire offseason with Ryan Day is probably going to look even better. If Fleming can stay healthy, as crazy as this is to say, because I feel like I've I've shit on him more than the other two in Jason and G Scott. G Scott doesn't even play wide receiver anymore. I, I think Julian Fleming might be a buy this offseason because I really think he can be what Chris Olave is in this offense next year. And we've seen that Ryan Day loves those long developing plays down the field to hit those wide receivers for a deep shot. And again, Olave, he can't come back again. So he's gone to the NFL, and I think that's going to be Fleming more than Mecca, more than Marvin Harrison. So as long as he stays healthy, Fleming could be in for a big season in 2022. Well, that's good to hear. Um, a little bit of, of variety for them, and that'll still be a very good wide receiving core. Um, do you think there's any chance with Stroud's great connection with JSN that it's just going to be a lot more to one receiver than it normally is for Ohio State? No, because I, we saw this with Justin Fields a little bit. He had that connection with Olave that first year. And then when Garrett Wilson Wilson kind of stepped up last year, it, it actually shifted to him more than it did Chris Olave. I think Jason's still going to be the one, but the biggest thing for him is I think defenses are going to key in more on him, kind of like they have with Garrett Wilson this year, which I think is why we've seen JSN break out so much. I actually think... Mecca might be the JSN next year because if, if JSN moves outside and they put Mecca in the slot, I think that's where Stroud might start to focus more. Like again, I think Fleming, he could have a Olave type season where he has like not that many catches, but I think a lot. So the, the funny thing with that is, is with the, with the Ohio state receiving room. And I think Jason just recently passed Garrett Wilson because of all, how much he does after the catch, which is just ridiculous. So you, that dude can catch the ball anywhere and take it to the house. But going up until the past couple of weeks, it was Olave was leading in touchdowns 
Wilson was leading in yards, but JSN was leading in receptions. And I can really see that happening next year as well. But in an order of like maybe JSN leading in yards because of how good he is after the catch, Fleming leading in touchdowns because he's that deep shot guy, and maybe Mecca leading in catches. Like I just think with the way Ryan Day builds this offense, they don't tend to focus on one player. It, it, they move all those guys around, and, and the, the way that they recruit – all those guys can play everywhere. I, may, I don't know that Julian Fleming can play in the slot, but he can move around anywhere else on the field, as can JSN and Mecca and Marvin Harrison. So I, I think regardless, uh, JSN I think will be the best of those three because he is. In my opinion, he's the best wide receiver in the room right now, and that includes Garrett Wilson and Olave. Like if I'm projecting those three to the NFL, JSN is the one that I think has the best and highest upside in the NFL. So he's still going to be the alpha dog. But as, as pass-friendly as that offense is, and let's be honest, you're you're a Big Ten fan. Outside of a couple schools in the Big Ten, there's a lot of teams you can beat up on. So I think the others will get theirs, especially in those games. No, I tend to agree with that. Um, I want to get your opinion on this, too. I'm I'm a big Chris Olave fan. Um, I think it's mostly because I saw him, you know, a very seldom-used torch uh, Michigan in that 2018 game, you know, when he, you know, came out of nowhere. I just feel like whenever Ohio State has a big game, say Michigan State, you know, Michigan, all those, Chris Olave always has huge games against like really good teams. I, you know, I don't know if that's a scheme thing or he just, you know, he, he's a big time player in those games. Do you kind of agree with that? Yeah, I think he's he's the trusted guy. I mean, him again, he he does something a little bit different than those other two do. Wilson, while well, he had the big catch this past week, I think it was like a 60-yard bomb down the field. Wilson and JSN are not quite used that way. Like JSN gets a lot of the swing passes or those throws right over five, six, seven yards around and then gone. Olave takes those deep shots and that is what Ryan Day likes to do. We saw it perpetrated a lot more with Justin Fields. And I think that's because he has that beautiful like moonshot like Russell Wilson does, right? Or he throws those deep ball and it was always Olave on the end of that. Because the one thing with Olave that I don't think he gets enough credit for is he's just a smooth route runner, and he creates separation so easily, and you wouldn't think it. And and it's going to be – I'm very interested to see what happens with him when it comes to the draft because a lot of the rumors and the reason why he came back this past season was because NFL draft scouts were saying, well, he needs to build up more strength. He, he needs to be able to beat press coverages a little bit better. I don't really think that's an issue. It, sometimes he gets stuffed at the line, but he's so quick that he creates that separation. You just need an offensive line to block a little bit longer. And Ohio State's going to, I think, continue to have one of the best offensive lines moving forward. So I do think that uh, they trust him because I want to say, I might be wrong on this, but I'm almost positive the stat that PFF tweeted out the other day is he has not dropped a red zone pass in two years. Uh, with Ohio State. So, I mean, that's just how reliable he is. We've seen Wilson. We've seen JSN drop balls. Maybe not in the red zone, but they've dropped crucial balls. Uh, off the top of my head, I can remember one this year that Chris Olave has dropped as a deep pass that he probably should have caught. And I think that just speaks to what you were just saying about how reliable he is. And those are the guys that you want to go to in big games because you know they're going to make the play. Right, yeah. I, I definitely think Olave is great at tracking the deep ball too. And one of the things I think we saw with Fields is – the one or two games where Olave did miss, Fields did not play as well. I don't remember which game that was last year, but you could tell he really missed Olave, like you know, as a security blanket. So I, I'm, you know, really high on Olave. I don't think he's going to be an elite receiver, especially early on. But I think he could carve out a really good career in the NFL. 
Yeah, I believe it was the Northwestern game. Um, yeah, that sounds right. That he was out, and yeah, he was. It was a. It, they were on the struggle bus. They they relied very heavily on Trey Sermon in that game. So now let's move on to the game. You know this this year. I think um, you know I've seen a couple people bring this up. You, the past few years with Harbaugh, when it's been you know when they've been up for the Big Ten championship. It's been in Columbus, you know, in 2016, 2018. They finally get a game at home, and people have said that, you know, Ohio State hasn't had that that many um, tough road games, the games they've had, you know, in Minnesota. You know, I know that was C.J. Stroud's first game, so I try to kick that with a grain of salt, but um, I, they had a couple other road games where they didn't necessarily play, you know, as well as they have been playing. So do you think that um, that's going to play – you know, anything in this game, or do you think it's just they haven't played that many road games, so they haven't had that many opportunities to show that they can really excel there? Yeah, it's hard to judge how much... I mean, Stroud admitted it after the game that the Minnesota crowd really affected him at times, but like you mentioned, that was really his first game starting, so how much of that can you really put into it? I mean, the only other tough road game they've had, and this might actually lean a little bit more to what you were saying, was when they went to Lincoln and they played Nebraska and they only won 26 to 17. Like it was not a great game. It was a game that we expected. It was right, it was right off them coming off that Penn state game where I think they won. It was like 33 to 21 or 24. And we thought, okay, well they're going to go into Lincoln, Nebraska, and they're going to blow Nebraska out because they're not a good team, right? And, and Adrian Martinez was playing with a sprained ankle and a broken jaw, and still was able to find ways to get him back. C.J. Stroud threw an interception in that game. He had a crucial fumble that almost let Nebraska come back into that game. So I do think that that part affects him a little bit, and that's that makes sense though, right? He's he's a true freshman. Not everybody is is I don't want to say he's not a gamer, but that affects everybody in different ways, and. The big house, I've heard, I've never been, I'll be honest, even though I'm not a fan of that team up north. I I would love to go to a game in Ann Arbor because I, I, I every time I watch one, especially the game, when they're there or when they're in those big games, it looks like a, a crazy atmosphere. They fit, I, one, I think it's one of the bigger college stadiums in college, is it not? The, with the way that they get the fans and everything I hear with the way that the stadium is built, it's like the fans are right on top of you when they're screaming and this is a big game. I mean, you just mentioned it. This is for the Big Ten Championship. Whoever wins this is going to play, likely, Wisconsin. And this could be a defining game for Jim Harbaugh. I mean, realistically, he's been in a couple of these games. I'm trying to remember which year it was uh, when um, JT Barrett got – he got the yard. He got the yard. I don't care what anybody else If says. you're talking Brett, about where he was short, it was 2016. He was not that, short. The ref said he got the yard. Referencing. The ref said but, he got the yard, which means he got the yard. But no, I, I mean, agree. He's... I agree. Whatever the call was on the field, it was going to stand. So yeah. I'll, I'll I'll say that. He uh, but I mean, Harbaugh, he's been in a couple of these games, and the one thing I'll say too with that, and I don't know how how deep you want to go into that part. So I, I I'll just say it this way: like, yeah. I think that the crowd and this game could possibly impact him a lot. I think it's going to come down to a lot on Ryan Day to get him some easy passes early, get him into a rhythm, try and get Travion or Mayan and Teague kind of moving on the ground to maybe take some of the pressure off CJ Stroud. Yeah, I will I will say also, um, when I first saw the Ohio State-Michigan State game, I was pretty downtrodden because it, it, I mean, obviously, you know, we, we lost to Michigan state and you guys treated them like a rag doll, 
But, um, you know, and I was happy that Michigan took care of Maryland like they did. And w- one of the big things I think is Michigan has – if I was Michigan and I won the toss, I would take the ball first and try to score first. Because I think if you let Ohio State score first, it's just so much pressure because – like, like with Michigan State, if you let Ohio State score first, you get the ball and say you have a you know, three and out. I mean, it happens, but then you're giving them the ball to go up two touchdowns. I think you have to score early, get the crowd involved, kind of like they did in 2019, but then they missed the extra point, and then um, Dobbins fumbled and it bounced right back into his arms. You know, But yeah. that was the right idea to kind of pull out all the stops that first drive, get that score. Um, about Quorum, I've heard mixed – you know, things, and this might be, you know, Harbaugh's gamemanship about Quorum. Yeah. But I was, I'm, I feel a little better with uh, Donovan Edwards catching all those passes last week. I don't know if that was just them show, trying to do something um, like Harbaugh likes to do to show something to for Ohio State and then never pull it out again. Um, I always have my doubts on, you know, the, the, the scheme because I yeah. truly believe that he's only out schemed Ohio State twice. 2016 defensively, and then that I believe was 2017. Um, I thought he had a very good offensive scheme when we were trying out John O'Corn, and just John O'Corn was horrible and threw that last interception. But um, yeah, it's definitely going to be that. I think they can't fall behind to Ohio State. I think they are a little bit mentally stronger than Michigan State, or at least I hope, and they're at home. But yeah, um, that that's going to be an interesting matchup if if Michigan tries to you know stop the run and then uh, you know that pat the passing game what Ohio State tends to do when Michigan has those good um, rush defenders is throw a lot of short passes. So would you think that J- this would be a big JSN game compared to the other receivers? Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely has the chance to be that because, I mean, you just mentioned, I, I, I just want to echo, I, I 100% agree with you. I think that they should take the ball first and do everything they can to drive down the field and score because you do that and you are immediately going to get whatever that is, 70, 80,000, 100,000 plus. I can't remember exactly how much Michigan can get into the big house there, but you're going to have them screaming from the top of their top of their lungs for the entire time Ohio State's out on the field. And the one thing I'll say again with we saw it with Minnesota, we saw it with Oregon, and we saw it with Nebraska. When the crowds are going like that and the defense can rush Stroud, he makes bad decisions. We saw what Oregon was able to do to them. And again, I know it was only his his third game, second game, whatever it was at this point. Let me look because I, I just had it up. His second game, and I know he was still a little bit injured. But Oregon was able to do to Ohio State what they did without Justin Flo and without Kayvon Thibodeau. Michigan's going to have Hutchinson, and I cannot for the life of me remember the other guy on the other side. But they've got two incredible ends that rush the passer. And while Ohio State's line has been good at run blocking, they've not always been good pass blocking. At times, they've been rated fairly low when it comes to the pass block. So if Michigan can get up on them and then just let Hutchinson and that defensive line just go eat, drop everybody else back in coverage, we've seen C.J. Stroud get confused. Now, he's gotten a little bit better at it at the, at the as the season's gone on, but if they can get pressure with just those three or four guys and drop the linebackers and the cornerbacks into coverage, it could be a long day for C.J. Stroud. But I, I do believe that because of the way they might be able to get pressure on him, that, yes, JSN is likely the guy. I think it could be a big game for him and Henderson if they let him kind of leak out 
and, and throw some screen passes to him, some dump offs. I don't know that they'll have the time to do like the wheel routes. Like you guys saw Donovan Edwards get to do last week where he had the big game receiving. Um, I'm with you. I wonder if they did do that on tape just for Ohio state to look for it. And to be honest, that's smart on Harbaugh's part because the cornerbacks and the linebackers are the biggest weakness of that that Ohio State defense. You know, if they can get those guys to try and commit to that, and then maybe have like Edwards run out, look like he's going to get a pass, and then just to give it to Haskins as a handoff, and then he gets a hits a hole. I mean, it could be a big game for Michigan. So yeah, it's it's interesting. I'm I'm a lot more nervous about this game than I was Michigan State because it is. I just think that they're a better team. The one thing I'll have, and you said that you think they're mentally more mentally prepared than Michigan State is. And I'll ask you, and I know you're not like in the locker room talking to the players, but I'm just curious, do you think that because they have not been able to get that big win against Ohio State, do you think that could be a mental block for them and possibly even Jim Harbaugh, who's kind of now not just Urban Meyer, but has not been able to beat Ryan Day either? Yeah, I I do think, at least rumors I've heard is, even more than years past, they've been doing, you know, preparation for how to say, you know, throughout the year when they said they hadn't necessarily done that before, which blows my mind that they don't. But in another thing is, you know, I think there there's a little, even though they lost to Michigan State, there seems a little bit different with this team, like the Rutgers game, the Nebraska game, even the Penn State game. I think they would have lost earlier, you know, in previous years. But I do agree with your what you're saying. I, I think as a program, especially when they play Ohio State, when things go bad, they're like, oh, here we go again. So that's why I said they need to they need to jump early, get get a score, get that confidence up, because if they go down, you know, seven, ten points, I think it's gonna be like, well, what do we do now? So I, I think that's a, a very good point um about that. So um yeah, let's move on. I think it's to, go ahead. Real quick, I think it's crazy that you just said that. I didn't realize that Michigan doesn't like Ohio State. As soon as the season's over, it's when do we play that team up north again? They have a countdown counter in the locker room for that. They prepare a little bit. They talk about how much they want to beat them every single week, even if they're playing somebody else. So I find that a little bit crazy that you said that. I thought maybe Michigan felt the same way and did the same thing. So that that's interesting. Well, not to, to say that they they haven't, but from what I heard, it's even like amped up more, which yeah. I mean, I don't know how that is, but I think, too, I think, you know, we're going way long on this Michigan-Ohio State talk, but that's fine. Um, so what what I try to tell people, too, because they're like, well, I was beating Ohio State and Purdue's beating Ohio State. I, I do agree that has happened. But I think people outside of the rivalry don't understand what Ohio State brings to this game. Like, it, it means everything to them. They are never going to overlook Michigan. I don't care how bad Michigan is. They could be 0-11. They're never going to overlook them, and they want to put their foot on their throat regardless, especially since Trestle's been gone, because Trestle was fine winning 14-3. Once Urban yeah. came in there, he was like, let me win 70-3. So that I think that's the, been the biggest thing. And I've, I've talked to, um, surprisingly, I have way too many uh, friends <laughs> in Jacksonville that are Ohio State fans also. And I say – Although I was happy when Trestle was, you know, at the time, let go. Yeah. Um, but I think Harbaugh would have matched up way better against those Trestle teams because it's the same same type of matchup. And we're still trying to retool everything defensively. You know, the idea was to blitz and everything and then 
that game with Haskins where he threw the ball over the field. So we've kind of mixed up the defense. So I'm wondering how that goes. We have struggled with up-tempo teams. So I'm wondering, you know, if Ohio State goes a little more up-tempo. But it will be interesting. And it's going to be the same thing every year, even when we lose by 30. I get really hyped up, you know, the day of the game. And I'm hyped, you know, usually through the first quarter. And then it slowly and slowly gets, um, you know, kind of comes in that, you know, we're going to lose. But, I mean, you know, one time, one time we're going to break through. So I yeah. keep on trying to, I keep on trying to be positive in, in, in everything. And even, you know, regardless of the outcome, um, I think Harbaugh has shown a change in the team this year uh, moving forward. But obviously I think it, to me, it depends on what the score of this game is and how they, how they look, you know, competitive wise in the game. So, um, so yeah, so now we'll move on. And I know you have been speaking highly of Cincinnati all year, trying to get into the playoff. I did not see them beating SMU like they did this past week. It was a huge victory. They, they shut down um, Tanner Mordecai, you know, um, Dennis Ritter, your, your, your guy had a very strong performance. Um, do you think that them being SMU, SMU by that much um, kind of solidified if they went out, they can get in the playoff? Or do you think people just don't take them serious? I think if they would have done this for a couple weeks, they probably would be four when the rankings are released Tuesday night. I think they're going to move Michigan up to four and keep Cincinnati at five. And I say that because for two reasons. We know Ohio State and Michigan play each other this week, so we know that's going to resolve itself, right? One of those teams is going to fall out, whoever loses, whether it's it's Ohio State or Michigan, whoever loses is going to fall out of that top four. But I also think the committee is a little bit afraid to put Cincinnati in the top four because then they have to justify removing them later if somebody else jumps up, a la 2015, when I believe they had TCU in there. It was TCU or Baylor, and then they removed them to put Ohio State, and it caused all that backlash. And granted, I think Ohio State, in a way, proved them right because they ended up going on and winning the national championship. But I don't think they want to do that. So I think Cincinnati deserves to be in the playoffs. They're undefeated. They've, you know, you can only beat who's on on the schedule. You you can't go beat Alabama if they're not on your schedule. Granted, I don't know that they'd beat Alabama. They played everybody. SMU is a good matchup. They get Eastern Carolina this or East Carolina, which is a decent team. And then I believe they'll get Houston in the championship game, which could be another really big game because that's a really good offense. If that defense can play the way they did against uh, SMU for the next two weeks, I think they've got a realistic shot to get in. Uh, and I hope that they do get in. Uh, you know, I've said a lot of people say that they're going to get blown out. Well, you know what? We've watched Notre Dame get blown out for years, and I don't want to see an 8-1 and one Notre Dame team that I think we can all be honest is not as good as any of the Notre Dame teams we've seen in the recent in the recent past get into the playoffs go out there and get blown out by Georgia. Everybody wants to overlook the, I believe it was the Sugar Bowl last year. Maybe it wasn't. I can't remember what, what bowl game it was. But Cincinnati hung with Georgia. And Georgia had a better team. They had JT Daniels out there. They had George Pickens out there. The offense, the the running game was humming. The defense was good. Now, they weren't as good as they were this year, but Cincinnati hung with them. I don't know that Cincinnati would beat Georgia. In fact, I'd probably bet a large amount of money that they won't beat Georgia. But I think they'd keep it more competitive than what we've seen from some of these other teams that have made it in as the four seed. I think they could keep it to a 7-14 to 14 type game, which is a competitive game, um, you know, 
I, I have hesitations sometimes about Ritter, but I'm going to be honest. He put it on his shoulders against SMU and did it. He did the damn thing this past weekend and won them the game, and that defense came to play as well. So I think they deserve to be in it. I hope they get that shot. I think the the obviously what they're they're pulling for is Georgia to beat Alabama in the SEC championship. So that because if that happens, Michigan, Ohio State, whoever loses is going to be out of the race. At least we think. So that would just mean, you know, the winner of that game and the winner of that, and then Cincinnati, and then, I mean, the four, you know, that's why I wanted to talk about who, in that scenario, who would be the fourth team then? Would it be a Notre Dame, or could a team like Oklahoma State, when in the Big 12, um, win, get in there? Um, I wanted to get your opinion on if, if all that works out like how we think it's going to. So yeah. the Big 10 winner, the SEC winner, Cincinnati, and who would be that fourth team? Yeah, so I'm just going to say this as a homer take. I'm not saying that Ohio State's going to win, but because I'm a homer, I'm going to say that they win. Uh, I think if they win, they clearly jump to two, and I do expect Georgia to beat Bama, so they're going to stay at one. Then that opens up two spots. There's a lot of people who believe Bama would still be in it if they only lose by like three to seven points. I don't necessarily think they're wrong because there's not a lot of other teams that have really proven anything. Now, granted, we've never seen the committee put a two-loss team in, but Bama comes with a different cachet because for whatever reason, even the committee says they don't look at the past, they clearly do when it comes to Bama because Bama, in my opinion, has not been the second best team for a long time this year, but they stay at two because they're Bama. I think the only other teams left in it are Cincinnati, Notre Dame, Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma. Oklahoma would have to win this week against Oklahoma State, and then I believe they would play Oklahoma State again in the Big 12 Championship. If they won that again, I do think there's a chance that they would get in because that they would still be a one loss team and, and they would have beaten a team that I think many believe is the best defense in the, um, in the big 12 twice, which is a, it was a nice feather in their cap. If Oklahoma state wins, I believe then they would play Baylor. I don't know how much the committee would value Baylor, but I could still see Oklahoma state getting in because they're a conference championship with one loss. The biggest one is Notre Dame. And I don't know how to value them because they've looked better but they, in my opinion, they can't get in over Cincinnati because Cincinnati beat them. And if you want to talk about head-to-head matters, they've already gone out on the field and they've proven that Cincinnati was the better team. And in my opinion, Cincinnati has gotten better since then as well. So you can't tell me that even though Notre Dame has gotten better, well, so is Cincinnati. And they already beat them when they were both at their low points. Cincinnati is the better team. What might hurt Notre Dame in this scenario is they don't, they're not in a conference. So they don't play a conference championship. So why everybody else gets to go out there next Saturday and look good in a conference championship game, Notre Dame is sitting at home doing nothing. So I think there's a realistic shot. If Bama gets blown out, that Cincinnati and then possibly Oklahoma State, if they're able to reel off two wins, could jump in and be that fourth team. But for... I just have this bad feeling that it's going to be Bama. And if Bama stays in, I think that they'll put them at three because I don't think that they want to see a rematch of Georgia-Alabama in the first round. So then that would put Cincinnati at four. So we would see Cincy-Georgia and then Bama-Ohio State. But I I think it's all going to come down to what happens, obviously, in that Bama-Georgia game. And then if Oklahoma State can win out, because regardless, in my opinion, I think Cincinnati should be in. We'll see if it happens. I do think the uh, loss by Oregon really helped clear a, a better path for Cincinnati. And um, my only thing with Cincinnati, and this is the same when UCF was going undefeated. Uh, if the, you really want to be counted in that, 
you need to win decisively in that conference. And both at UCF and Cincinnati have had games that have been way closer than they should have been. But this, I think this win over SNU kind of for Cincinnati, at least kind of puts some of that to bed since, you know, the SMU team was so good. So um, we'll kind of close out the show with just a little bit of um, Debbie player talk. Um, so uh, Dabo said that uh, Justin Ross is having a procedure and that he's going to declare for the draft this year. Um, we, we know that he was great as a freshman then had those injury injury concerns. He came back this year, but that whole Clemson offense hasn't looked great. Where do you see Justin Ross in the in the in the draft? Do you think just based on potential he could be a day two guy, or do you think all the injury concerns will push him down into you know say the fourth fifth round? I would be very surprised if he's a day two guy. I um I think the one thing with him uh how he tested the combine. I don't know the procedure that he's having, so hopefully he'll be healthy enough to participate in the combine. If he goes out there and tests, well, the biggest thing is going to come down to what happens with the medicals. No, guys like us are not going to be able to see that, so we're only going to be able to speculate. Maybe a couple rumors drop here or there. Uh, but I think that's going to be the biggest thing is, is what happens with the medicals. Because, again, I mean, there was a point in time last year where we thought he was never going to play football again. Uh, and usually when you have an injury like that, you don't just come back. He has not really been that good this year. I think if he'd come out and, and played really well and then like, okay, well, he's going to have another procedure, maybe we would have looked at him like a Mike Williams. And I, I don't want to do the, the the helmet scouting, but like a Mike Williams because he had that really serious, I believe, the back injury. And then he comes out and they're like, oh, well, what's he going to do? And then he still goes first round. Uh, I, I think the medicals are going to be key, but I would be really surprised if he goes second or third round. I think he's likely a a – at best fourth round, but I would think he's probably a fifth or sixth round pick. And you would know better than me. I believe was it was it his freshman season or sophomore season when they played Ohio State, and I believe T Higgins got hurt, and Justin Ross really wasn't able to separate against that that good Ohio State secondary. Also, um, yeah. So I That's I don't know, remember which year that was. Clemson ended oh. up winning, but it was mostly because of Trevor Lawrence's running running the ball. Um, I don't remember which year, but I, I, that kind of gave me pause for Justin Ross because they were, you know, really depending on him and he couldn't get off that press coverage. And we've seen all those Clemson receivers, um, you know, Felix did that, that great video on DJU um, yeah. on the campus Canton um, YouTube. So I would say definitely check that out. I watched that earlier today that those receivers just aren't um, showing separation and the same with Justin Ross. Um, if he doesn't have separation and add on the injury, I don't know where he'll go because there's some good receivers the past year that a lot of people are high on, and they were contested catch um, receivers, and the NFL just is not going towards that anymore. Yeah, I would, I'm almost positive it had to have been his sophomore year because if I'm remembering correctly, his junior year, that was the year that he was hurt, and that would have been the year that Ohio State went like ballistic on him because I was like, celebrating wildly on Twitter uh, with that win because that, that was that was my national championship uh, because Alabama absolutely destroyed him. Uh, so, yeah, I'm almost positive it was it was his sophomore year. And, and, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, you know, we hear Felix talk about it all the time, right? Like, as you just mentioned, the NFL is moving away from those contested catch guys, and, and I do think that that's kind of what he is. Now, granted, if I'm remembering correctly in that game, I mean, he had guys like Denzel Ward on him, um, which Jeff Akuda 
which I know Akuda's injured this year for the Lions. We've seen Denzel Ward when he's not injured. He plays one of the top cornerbacks in the NFL. So he is going up against the best of the best. But even when you go into the NFL, you're playing guys who maybe not are at that level, but they're only like half a step down on, on most of these NFL teams. You're playing better competition than what you're getting in, in you know, the, the ACC. So I think... Uh, yeah, with, with him and the contested catch, I mean, he'd have to go to a team that's going to use him the right way. Uh, and again, I don't think he's going to get the draft capital for it to, to really play out for a lot of people. He, he's going to be a guy that I think we're likely going to see him as like a third or fourth round dart throw in our rookie drafts. Yeah, I tend to agree. And just, you know, um, kind of quickly, I know you've talked about this. Everyone's down on the 2022 class. While I don't think it's as great as, as you know, previous classes, I don't think it's as far down, and you you spoken to the same thing. You, I think the biggest part is you don't have those elite quarterbacks, you know, that we know are going to be good like this past years. But we've seen this year they've struggled. I mean, I know it's just their rookie year, um, but also you know the running backs. There's there's Brees Hall and Isaiah Spiller, but I think wide receiver wise they might not have top end, you know, elite guys. I think the wide receiver class is very deep after the the top five. In the yep. top five, I think we're looking at both Ohio State receivers, Olave and Wilson, um, Traylon Burke from Arkansas. Um, depending on, you know, if you talk to an analytics guy, David Bell from Purdue, and, um, you know, Drake London. And then we have a lot of receivers after that. What are some of the a couple receivers you like outside those, you know, top five? Yeah, so – for me, I, I tend to rank my guys in tiers. My tier one right now is a couple of the guys you mentioned. It's Wilson, it's Burks, it's London, and Bell. I still like Bell a lot because I, I view him, I've, I've said I think he's the Rashad Bateman of this class. He's not going to get the respect he deserves, but he's going to go out there and produce on the NFL field. We've already seen him going out there and produce for Baltimore. After that, I, I, I'm with you. I think this class is, is a lot deeper than people give it credit for. You know, You talked about the quarterbacks really quick. I agree that they don't have any top-end guys, but if four or five of those guys go, and I think there's a shot at least four, four or five of those guys go in the first round, they're going to get drafted in your rookie drafts because most of the rookie drafts, at least we play in, are super flex. So that's five picks. That's almost the first round of your rookie draft right there. Then you talked about three or four running backs. And wide receiver, there's at least 11 guys that I like that I'd be willing to draft. That's almost a whole round right there too. So now you're talking about that's two whole rounds of a rookie draft realistically, if we go back and look at rookie drafts in the past, that's about where you feel comfortable anyway. There's not a lot of drafts that we go into the third round thinking, oh man, I'm so glad I'm getting this player in the third round. At that point, you're talking about dart throws. Like, well, this guy did this or did that in college, and I think he can be this in the NFL. Some of the guys that I like outside of that, Wandell Robinson out of Kentucky, you know, transferred from Nebraska. He's really proven that he can be a good player this year, and the versatility that he has, I think, is big. Zay Flowers out of Boston College. Uh, a lot of people contribute how good Phil Jerkovich has been because of, how, of Zay Flowers. You got Jahan Dotson out of Penn State, Khalil Shakir, Shakir out of Boise State, who just got the Senior Bowl invite. He could be a guy that blows up. Uh, a guy that's not getting a lot of talk, and I don't know that he'd come out, but Jalen Cropper out of Fresno State, he's got to talk a lot about this uh, this uh, offseason and coming into the season. He's a guy very much like Wondell Robinson, can be used all over the field that I think is interesting. And then, uh, you know, Dante Wright out of Colorado State, Romeo Dubs, Nevada, Dante Demas, you know, big thing with him is how is he going to come back from that injury? Uh, and then last but not least, my guy Calvin Austin out of Memphis. Uh, the wide, the NFL has moved 
Uh, they've started drafting these smaller guys. We saw it again last year with, my God, his name escapes me, and I cannot remember what it is, but the Rams, Tutu Atwell, the Rams drafted him in the second round. You, If you actually go and look, we've seen a lot of teams drafting these guys who are like right around the 5, 9, 5, 10 range, uh, and the difference with Austin is he is literally has track speed. He walked onto Memphis as a track star and then and went and played football in his first year. He was more of like a track star trying to play football, and he's become a football player with track speed. He wins a lot on the outside in college. Don't know if he can do that in the NFL, but I think he could be a really dangerous slot weapon. He's a guy that I really like. He's going to the Senior Bowl. Would not be surprised if by February, after the Senior Bowl and everything is over with, Calvin Austin is that guy that gets that massive Senior Bowl bump and everybody's talking about him. Yeah, I like a lot of those names that you uh, spoke about. One that um, I think he could move up into the top five is uh, Jamison Williams. At Alabama, um, this past week, Colin came on on our, my other pod, and we did you know rookie um, first round mock, a way too early one. And I t- actually took Jamison Williams at the end of the first round, just because I think he's going to get you know at, at the very least second round draft capital. He has that speed. He gets that Bama bump that you know all those right wide receivers seem to get, regardless if they deserve it or not. And I like how he seems to be able to be more of a complete receiver than I thought he would be. I thought he would be just a take-off-the-top guy, but they throw short passes to him. They throw intermediate passes to him. He shows more strength than um, I think you would uh, imagine. And, you know, I know he couldn't make it in that, uh, you know, Ohio State wide receiver room, but he, you know, had dealt with some injuries. So, and I think um, he's really showing that, and a couple of other guys, I like you said, Dante Dimas. I wonder how he comes back from that injury because, you know, he was playing better than Rakeem Jarrett, who everyone thought was going to take over there. Um, for Nevada, Romeo Dubs, I don't know where he'll get drafted, but I just like him as a playmaker. It just seems like he always makes plays, and I feel like, you know, he's not going to be a day two guy, but he could um, he could come out and, you know, really uh, play well, and he could be a, a late sleeper. And then a couple other guys that are probably more day three guys. I really like Tyquan Thornton from Baylor. Um, it's funny. I was looking for highlights of him this year, and all I all, all like the YouTube videos are from 2019. So I still have to look for that. But he shows good speed. He's a good route runner. Um, I think, you know, he could probably test pretty well. And another player, I know the analytics probably won't be great on him since it's his fifth year, but Charleston Rambo um, coming from Oklahoma. And this year at Miami, he's played really well. Um, he's kind of been their go-to receiver. Um, I don't necessarily know how he's going to test, and he's a fifth-year guy. But, you know, I and all the names that you said, I think it's a very, very deep class, and um, it's going to be very interesting. I think a ton of those guys could go, you know, um, day one, day two. So there could be a ton of receivers. And, what I, you know, people have been talking about, totally trading out of the 2022 draft. What I would do is if I had a top five pick, I would try to trade back and get a couple picks, you know, in the late first, you know, in the second, because I think that's really where the value is. Yeah, that, that was a major oversight on my part, not mentioning Jamison Williams. I, I'm with you. I think there's a realistic shot. He gets first round draft capital. Good for him. Good for him. Him and his dad, uh, started a lot of stuff on Twitter after his transfer. And a lot of people are talking crap about him. Uh, and he's definitely proven a lot of people right. So I'm, I'm rooting for him to get good draft capital and do something in the NFL. Yeah, I think I heard Jamison Williams said some comments about Ohio State fans recently. So I'm guessing oh, that he's not. I see that. 
I didn't see what he said, but he was kind of like talking about, I guess, how Ohio State fans are. Which I, I don't know exactly what he said, but I'm sure that, you know, there's not going to be, you know, any welcoming parties for him anytime soon. Oh, yeah, I'm sure not. I, I'd have to look, but uh, yeah. You know, I, I'll, I'll look that up on Twitter to see what he said. I'm sure he doesn't, he, uh, not a lot of love is lost there for, uh, for the Ohio State Buckeyes. Do you think that it was mostly his injury, or do you think they just maybe misscouted him, or what do you think cost him not even getting on the field? I think Olave coming back cost him the most because they do the same thing. And no disrespect to Jamison Williams, and I'll ask you because you said the same thing, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I know your answer. I would take Olave over William, Will, Will, uh, Jamison Williams right now. Like I, I think Olave is the better player, and so I think that's what hurt him because he's not better than JSN. He's not better than Garrett Wilson. He's not better than Chris Olave. And I don't think he wanted to continue to be that second guy. And then when Chris Olave came back, well, now he just got jumped by these two guys, uh, a sophomore and JSN, a redshirt freshman, whatever he considers himself. Now Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, he's probably looking at it like, well, Hey, if I don't leave, I have to stay another year. And I don't think he wanted to wait till he was a senior. It was a great move by him. I mean, again, he goes to Alabama, and he's proven exactly how good he was. He just couldn't break on the field because those players are all just a little bit better than him. No, I agree, and I, I, I think um, you guys talked about this on Debbie Debate when he decided to transfer to Alabama. I was really high on this freshman um, wide receiving class for Alabama that no one has really produced much, and I was surprised when Jamison Williams went to Alabama because at the time it didn't make a ton of sense, but obviously, you know, Saban knows what he's doing, and, you know, brought him in and you know he's really really saved a lot of that wide receiving core and um he's definitely skyrocketed past John Mechie so um you know and that's another that's another guy that who knows where he'll necessarily go because he hasn't really produced like everyone thought he would this year so um yeah so I think there's tons of wide receivers and everything so um yeah so I think that's it for the show and I want to thank you Matt for uh coming on and uh talking a lot of uh Buckeye football, which I know you love. I so, do, uh, absolutely. So I appreciate it. <laughs> no problem. And we'll uh, we'll have you on again later on when you'll be able to talk more about those uh, those projects that are coming out later later on. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, and I, I look forward to jumping on with you again to uh, release the breaking news of what we've got coming down the pipelines. All right, sounds good. So that that'll be the um, second episode of Decoding Gevi, Devi, and we'll see you guys next week.